As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, welcome to this edition of Behind the Dice. I am, of course, DM Wolf, joined by my always lovely co-host, Phoebe. Hello, hello. In this episode, we're going to be talking about dealing with the unexpected in an encounter, specifically. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about the building blocks of an encounter. We've talked about actually making the encounter. Yeah. And we're going to be running the encounter. Yeah. But what do we do when things go completely sideways and it's you know the players or something you can have prepped for everything that you think possible mm-hmm. up to this point and the players will still surprise you so what do we do uh panic freak out throw your books on the floor and run away crying that's my <laughs> that's my, my tactic that's my go-to <laughs> i mean <laughs> I mean, that works. That works, too. Uh, I've been known to actually shut down a session. Hey, you know, I need to come back to this because I was not ready for that. Yes, I have. I have stopped sessions, like in a serious way. I've stopped sessions. If it, if it's a huge change that's going to completely explode something and if it's in a campaign, then I'll, I'll stop and say, I need to think about this because in a campaign, especially, there'll be probably more far reaching consequences to something. And you might need to work right. out how the whole world has been affected by this change if it's something that big uh smaller changes campaign and one shots uh or things that are unexpected what i usually do is is ask for a 15 minute break mm-hmm. when nobody talks to me don't this is not a break where you come and talk to me i am thinking i this is my thinking face and i'll try and work through how yeah how the world would would react to that because sometimes it is something just completely out of the blue that would have far-reaching consequences and it makes your brain go error 404 <laughs> information not found D- dm.exe has quit working <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i've had a few of those i think i've talked about most of them on the podcast the um the one that springs to mind immediately where my brain just fell out of my ear holes was in my first ever homebrew campaign where they were looking for shards of this goddess's heart and they had gone into this kind of virtual magical pocket world prison and the big bad at the end of the prison was this kraken and they threw the shard of the heart into the kraken which was made by the goddess and this is a shard of her broken heart and i was i did not i did not expect that and i was like i don't i don't know what would happen if you did that let me try and work <laughs> it out and another one i would say was um, I've already talked again. I think I talked on the first ever episode you had me on about this one, about when they blew up the 
piloting part of an airship that the, they were currently on that was filled with like mag- the equivalent of magical nuclear weapons and they fireballed the control panel. Yeah. Yeah. And nuked the entire capital city. Capital city. Yeah. With all the royal family. <laughs> And that, that was when I had to stop the session. With the Kraken, I just sort of took 15-minute break. I kind of worked out. I worked through in my head what I wanted to happen and what should happen. And, and it, in the end, the Kraken exploded and they kind of skipped that whole boss fight. <laughs> but with the, with the crashing airship, that was so, so unexpected that I had to, yeah, I had to call the session and, and pick up next next month because i was doing monthly games at that point oh yeah and more recently i had something unexpected happen in a campaign of mine uh in my curse of strad campaign so my players already know all this uh so no spoilers for them but if you are avoiding curse of strad spoilers i might veer in that territory or skip ahead a little bit yeah uh so i i came up with a fun idea where in the magical pool in kresk there is um, something that can happen where Strahd's brother, Sergei, can can go off with Arena, his true love, into the magical world of the pool. And one of my players jumped into the pool because why wouldn't you? Um, I mean, it's right there, so, you know. And that, that luckily was at the end of a session. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to call it then and, and I'll come up with something cool to do with the pool. So that was an unexpected thing. And what I ended up doing was making it so that the pool was sort of a portal to some little pocket dimensions with um, various divine beings that were, you know, known by the the players. Because the gods are kind of shut out of Barovia, this was like something for the paladin to have to reconnect with his god and that kind of stuff. It's a nice role play. And one of the pocket universes, one of the doors was to Sergei, who I had had being sort of stuck in this pocket. His soul has been stuck in this pocket universe, reliving the battlefield where he lost all his men with the silver dragon, you know, and kind of stuck in this limbo. And one of my players went in, uh, my gnome gnome character went in, met Sergei, thought he was a lovely guy and decided to try and rescue him out of this pocket dimension, which meant that when he returned to the real world, it didn't just bring Sergei back to life. But what it meant is that he now had a passenger in his head, Sergei's personality slowly taking over. And how I had imagined this would go would be that this character would freak out and tell the rest of the party, and then we'd be off hunting for some kind of magical solution to separate Sergei's soul out and bring him back to life, uh, because they weren't high enough level to do any kind of resurrection stuff. That's what I expected to happen. Uh-huh. What actually happened was the player decided just not, he wasn't going to mention it to anyone. <laughs> just let it happen. Just let it happen. Okay. Yeah, just pretend it's not happening. And then, uh, so I just had to keep progressing. And eventually, Sergei took over that character's body. <laughs> and now the player's been playing Sergei longer than he was playing his name character. Oh, that's funny. I did some fun magical bullshit to bring the the gnome character back as a separate entity a bit later, which we can talk about another time. Um, and now he's the NPC and Sergei's the player character. Just, it was, it, it's kind of a different kind of unexpected, but still something where you're like, hey, are you sure? <laughs> I mean, hey, it, it, it works. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I love having Sergei in the party. It's really great for role-playing Strahd to have his hated brother there. Yeah, what about you? What's your biggies with when it comes to kind of unexpected stuff from your players? God, I, I have so many because my players tend to continually surprise me. Mm-hmm. So one of the very first ones that, that springs to mind is one of them where I actually visibly like locked up and, and even my players were like, do we need to just like <laughs> come back to this at a, at a later session? Cause like, you look like you're shocked. I was like, I am shook and I need, I'm, I'm going to, yeah, we're going to need to call this one. And essentially what had happened was they were trying to get a warlock out of a deal because uh, long story short, the demon lord uh, or or the devil was asking for the soul of his sister, and and tribute to progress the pact. Yeah, and the sister wouldn't have died because they made the pact that you know the sister would be safe, would be kept safe, mm. but said nothing about maintaining her soul, and. The original deal was with this, you know, demon lord who had been outcast and and banished and, you know, was no longer welcome in the Nine Hells. And so they were like, okay, cool. So we're going to summon him and we're going to try to break this pact, which I'd expected. I'm like, all right, cool. We can do that. Not a big deal. And then one of my players being a smartass goes, well, wait a second. He was outcast, right? Yeah. So we're not going to summon the demon lord. We're going to summon Asmodeus instead. <laughs> oh, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because, you know, obviously if this demon lord is trying to build power and working his way back into the Nine Hells and Asmodeus outcast him, then, mm-hmm. you know, if we just go to the head honcho and go, hey, this dude's doing this shady shit over here, you know, we want you to break this pact with him because he's trying to do X, Y, and Z. And, like, you know, I'm just like, you guys are, like, level 10. I love, I love this. This is, this is so corporate, kind of bureaucratic <laughs> feeling with this. I love it. It's like, we're going to report you to your boss. Pretty much. That's, that's pretty much what it was. And bear in mind, this is, this is a part of my school setting. So this was another student that they were trying to help break his warlock pact. Right. And they, they, so, yeah, so it was a bunch of, well, no, not, not teenagers. This is like, university like college level so like mid-20s maybe but still like a bunch of 20 somethings trying to summon the dark lord of all hell you know i had the stats for this guy over here and and all of that because i i assumed that's what you guys were gonna do i was not ready for asmodeus i was like you're gonna die like that's that's almost end of story if is if if, if, i'm gonna need to work this shit out so we had to call the session and, and come back to it but one of them what did you do yeah what did you do i wound up summoning uh an avatar okay cool one of them that that roams the plains and and whatever else and i mean most of them still couldn't move or or anything like that we had one who's who's charisma i mean he hit the 30. nice he hit the 30 for the charisma check to not be completely incapacitated by asmodeus i think he was the only one and all he could really do was kind of kneel and stare at him as they as they converse. Like, he couldn't even really move. Mm. But they were able to work out a deal. Nice. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, it, it completely caught me off guard. I sincerely was not expecting that either. Because I'm sitting here thinking, it's like, 
this is one of the most powerful beings in the multiverse. He is one of the few deities that does not require worshippers or souls to maintain his power. So I was not expecting that. I was just thinking what, because I think like you, if that happened to me, uh, I would I would need to call the session there because I'd need to figure out what in the heck I wanted to do. And to be honest, I I, I really admire the, that you did go find a way for them to actually talk to Asmodeus because mine would be tempted, especially if they're lower level, I'd be tempted that Asmodeus just wouldn't care about them and send them like a secretary. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what the Avatar is essentially, is a, is a secretary, you know. Mm. Or I might have them like with their summoning portal just hear hold music. <laughs> the one really kind of stupid part about that one was that, and I didn't think about this until after the fact, it was something that one of my players did. They have met Asmodeus in another campaign that somebody else ran. Yeah. And uh, they were telling me about it. I'm going, damn, I missed the opportunity for this one. But essentially, he was the boss from Office Space. Yeah. Just, you know, if you could do this for me, that would be great, you know. <laughs> I Yeah, I always see Asmodeus and the Hells as being, like, corporate, really yeah. businessy. Oh, yeah. Compared to, like, the Abyss, which is just chaos and kind of primal yeah. hell. The only level of hell, in, in, at least in my, my universe, that comes close to the Abyss with that is Avernus itself. Mm. And that's just because that's where the main battleground is between the Abyss and hell. Yeah. The rest of them, like, as you get down to, like, the 8th and ninth levels and, and everything else, it becomes more and more structured. Mm-hmm. So my players in my Wednesday night game, for instance, met uh, Mephistopheles. Nice. In the 8th layer. And, of course, the eighth layer is a frozen wasteland. You know, Mephistopheles has a roaming fortress that kind of moves around, you know, this this ice wasteland. of these, And it's got these giant blocks of ice with these, like, eldritch beings inside of them. Mm-hmm. And my Mephistopheles is a scholar. Mm-hmm. He wants knowledge because knowledge is power. And so they study these eldritch beings. And, and you know, so when they met him, I, I describe him as, you know, he's very business-like, very, you know, clean-cut suit and tie, you know, nice trimmed-up beard, black slicked-back hair, you know, everything about him is just very pristine. I didn't think about what I did mm-hmm. at the time, because I'm thinking, okay, this is the devil, this is Mephistopheles, very high charisma, I made daddy, is essentially what I did. And my players treated him as such. And I'm sitting there going, oh, oh no. Oh, God yes. damn it. <laughs> that is always the thing. This is, I always assume that my players are going to flirt with any NPC or baddie. Right. Just because you have to make that assumption so that you can be ready for it when it does happen. <laughs> yeah. And I should have realized it at the time. I just, I wasn't thinking that. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what made it worse was again, not thinking about this because they are living souls in the eighth level of hell. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Full of demons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They gave them a like collar necklace choker thing with like the symbol of, of Mephistopheles on it to like allow them passage. Right. And so one of my players looks at me and goes, Did did Mephistopheles just collar us? Yeah. God. Uh oh. So again, completely unexpected because now they're just sitting here like, yes, daddy. Oh, Fuck. God. <laughs> There's no saving an NPC once you've got it, once it's gone that far. <laughs> I, I will tell you how I, how I did save that one. Hmm. And it's it's so far worked. So in, in this, this world, Mephistopheles is actually married to technically immortal, but she's got like one soul coin left. Okay. And it's, he has control over that. Right. And prior to this happening, they were married. And so when the party returned originally from hell, and they met up with this woman again, who they had no idea that she was married to Mephistopheles. Right. Told, the, told her what happened. She goes, okay, I'm going to have to go and have a word with my husband then. <laughs> and disappears. And so the next time they go back to hell, because they were actually uh, trying to deal with a an oath-breaking paladin, or not paladin, uh, warlock mm. of Mephistopheles, came back down and found out that, oh, not only is she here, she looks about 40 years younger than she did when we met her, and she's rocking, like, the uh, bounty hunter leathers and everything else with this giant fucking weapon weapon on her back yeah because not only is she now back to her original form she has now agreed to become the bounty hunter for mephistopheles nice very nice so it, it little things where the players caught me off guard but i was able to kind of work around them yeah. but it was still just that i need to think more when i describe these characters because of course they're gonna flirt yeah of course they are <laughs> 
but kind of moving on so that's that's sort of our our experience sort of summed up uh, like with a few anecdotes on the unexpected I mean I can't think of a single D&D session that I've ever run where something unexpected hasn't happened you know it's, it's oh, no, yeah. part of the game we've talked about preparation before and I'm not a person that does a, a lot a lot of prep I, I will for kind of uh, combat encounters battle maps I'll get all the details on there but for social or role-playing things I won't I won't necessarily kind of try and make too many decisions on that I'll I'll know my characters but I won't try and impose any kind of this is where the story should go right you see what I mean obviously you've got to have some idea otherwise you're going to be directionless but I think it's best with for roleplay to keep that bit as loose as you can while still keeping pacing up to allow for those unexpected things. And I think the times when I've been most surprised and found it the hardest to cope with unexpected stuff is when I have had rigid preparation. Like this is a ghost kraken, you solve it by saving the seagull and that's, that's what I've written. That is the solution to this puzzle. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when they do something different, that's when if you've got a set route in your mind of the only way this could go, then that's when the surprises will kind of cause you more problems, I think. Whereas if you've got it a bit faster and looser, if I'd kind of when I was preparing the crack and if I thought, right, so that's one way they can get out of this. What other things could I put in here for them to play with the way we did when we were designing the encounter, looking at different kind of avenues that they might go go on right is there is there an environmental piece here that they can use for this is there a balcony they can escape off of you know that that kind of thing is always good i know one of my favorite kind of tropes i've never had a barbarian in my party so i've never had this kind of thing happen Mm. but it's like the the whole oh well the door is booby trapped but you can't disarm the trap well who needs a door i'm going through the wall (laughs) yeah you know yeah it's it's one way to get around it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it works. I think it. You know, we say this a lot, but sometimes those unexpected things in in D anD D can be the most enjoyable for you as a DM. Because I do find when things are going a bit too smoothly that it can get a little dull. Yeah. Kind of, it feels like you haven't got that much to do because you're not having to react to anything unexpected, and you've already done the prep work, and now you're just sort of ticking the boxes. Yeah. So I do like kind of the the big surprises and the little ones and leaving enough room in the options that you present to the players for them to do different stuff is, I think, one of the ways you can keep it fresh for yourself as a DM, certainly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I've just thought of another really fun one. Uh-oh. Right? And if, <laughs> if we haven't moved past the anecdotes section yet, this was right at the end of my first campaign and they were about to confront the crazy goddess with the smashed open heart uh, because she was trying to remake the world as though it was fairy tales. Ooh, those are always fun to play with. Yeah, it was, it was, I really enjoyed that one. So, but in order to access her inner sanctum, they had to wear a mask because this was like part of her order of worship as them fitting in with this 
well, it wasn't quite a cult, but this religion. Um, so I, I made 40 different masks in the game. I didn't make it in real life, these ones, which had certain benefits and downsides. Like you could get advantage on something and disadvantage on the other, depending on the kind of trope that it was playing on. So the, the actor's mask would give you a deception and performance advantage, but then you would have less persuasion and uh, something else I can't remember. And all of these masks were shades of grey, right? They, they're good and bad, apart from one, which was black and smoking and obviously evil. Like, they, they, there's big neon sign pointing at it going, this is the evil one. <laughs> Do not touch. You will die. Yeah. And I really, I, I know better now. I know my players better now. But I really thought they'd be like, oh, we better stay away from that one. That one looks really cursed. No, no. That was the first one that was put on. Yep. Would have been the first one I'd have put on too. Yeah. So <laughs> the, what the mask did was essentially in for every in-game hour, it would boost your stats to like unholy, godly levels and give you increasingly powerful spells. Okay. However, every time this went up, I described it to the player that they're losing their empathy. Like they lose their memories, childhood memories, people that they love their feelings of connection to the party. And essentially, when when they got to the most godly level of all, all they want to do is return to the void and make everyone else come to the void with them as well. So destroy, he become, destroy the universe, essentially. So yeah, <laughs> my player was kind of in the mid of this. He still had some feeling for the party members, but he was becoming much more callous. They're talking to this broken-hearted goddess, and they I swear to God, they were so close to convincing her to heal the world. Like, they'd done really well with their role play. Their roles had all been on point. They'd used special advantages that I'd given them, and they were really clever about it. And then my player with the evil mask, uh, he just says, I'm bored now, and he disintegrates the goddess with a touch. <laughs> Bravo. Which was great. It was great role play, but that was another one where we all just went, what? And that was a session ender because I, that, I rewrote the entire end of the campaign because yeah. of that. Yeah. And um, he ended up being the, the final baddie. Once they kind of got to the, the arena of the finale, which was kind of the space outside the universe, which mm -hmm. they got to because it, things happened. Magic. Well, basically, because they killed this goddess, she was really powerful, one of the prime deities. Her parents were Order and Chaos, the two which I had put as the two like base deities. And so they came and they just started unmaking the world to remake it because their daughter was murdered but as part of that that was creating a tear in the universe which then the party ran through to escape the the crumbling world and they ended up in these this kind of liminal space and it was it was full of pocket dimensions where that because their psyches were sort of fractured so i had them come up with their favorite memory and the worst memory of their life. And, and then this created a spinning maze of pocket dimensions. They had to go through to the middle to get to the heart of the universe to restart everything and fix it, essentially. 
And while they're in this maze of dreams and nightmares, I had split that player into the the bad mask wearing part of himself and himself when he was much, much younger and more naive. And the the dark half is the one he chose to play. And then he chased the, the party around trying to kill them for the last few adventures. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. I really, it was great, but it was, that was something that I, I had to, you know, I was lucky I was running monthly games because it took me almost a whole month to come up with how I would change the end of the campaign. Yeah. If you're listening, thank you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a player I want at my table. <laughs> yes, he, he is my spicy chaos wizard. <laughs> I... I absolutely live for the chaos. That's that is one of my favorite things uh, in a game. Oh God, I have so many more I could go into and and take like entire like months worth of episodes. But pulling back to the encounter that we're building, the the thing that we're doing, yeah, possible surprises that you know could come up. Mm-hmm. I've I've had to think about this one a little bit. Because obviously we're expecting people to destroy the vampire. We're expecting them to fight them to the last death, you know, bring them to their, to their, you know, final grave, you know, the, show them the sunlight one more time, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use for it. They're going to moiter them. But. But. As we just said earlier, because of my stupidity, there's always the possibility that they will try to flirt or seduce their way out of the situation. Yes. So what is a possibility that can come from that? Well, we have already established that the vampire has the charm slash thrall ability. I absolutely, I think if if a player is flirting with the vampire, charm charm that player and, and then you can kick off the combat with a, he gives you a dashing smile, blows you a kiss and says, kill your friends. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, which actually just happened in Strada as well. spicy or and just because of how most vampires could work in this as well they could also try to turn the player into a vampire i think that takes too long i don't think the rest of the party would be chill with that no but if you've got the vampire with you know their party member over here according to the charm ability it allows them to drain life from them willingly yeah because they're under the impression that this is a friend. Why Why wouldn't I give them life to, to help them stay alive? Mm-hmm. Drain enough, well, that player's going to become a vampire. Yeah. And at level five. <laughs> I, I, I don't mind that. I think that's fine. I quite yeah. like the idea that, that that's some real PvP. I, I mean, it's going to have to be established before we start whether or not we're allowing PvP. I would, I would, because I think it allows more chaos. In terms of kind of other outcomes of the flirting, we could have the vampire be offended by it. Yep. Because how dare these maggots flirt with him when he's got the queen? You know, it's his wedding to the queen, so it could take it that route and then initiate combat that way. Or have him order the guards to take him to the dungeon 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I mean, I'm expecting some flirting. If we're going to make this a handsome vampire man, I mean, yeah, I, could, I don't see the players not being like, well, hello. <laughs> right, you know, particularly just because of, of some of the things like, and I, I blame a, a TikTok friend of mine for this, uh, Emily, if you're listening to this, this is entirely your fault, but Strahd with a Southern gentleman accent. <laughs> I like that. That's nice. So you have the vampire who's a very handsome southern gentleman who's very charming, very suave. And yes, my dears, you are always more than welcome here in our kingdom. You know, of course, there's going to be some flirting that's going to pop off because of that, because why wouldn't you? <laughs> so I'm I'm fully expecting that. <laughs> I mean, if we're still on the flirting thing, I, another unexpected that I can imagine happening is flirting with the queen. I can see that happening. The vampire would definitely be offended by that, uh, so we can kick yeah. off combat. I think the, I mean, the ultimate unexpected that could happen is that they side with the vampire and willingly pledge themselves to him. <laughs> you know, but I think that's. I don't at my tables. I don't really run with uh, evil character, evil aligned characters. I I prefer people to have neutral or good. Mm-hmm. So I I think that's highly unlikely if they're playing neutral and good characters because you know, right? Evil vampire. I mean, it would it would still bring about the whole PvP thing too. So I mean, either way, depending because not the entire party is going to do that. I mean, let's let's be real. I would hope not anyway. Something else that that's unexpected that I fully expect happen is you know we had the role play section first where they're talking to the vampire and trying to get. I, I can see one of my players just running in and fireballing 
straight away. Leroy Jenkins. Yeah, the Leroy Jenkins conundrum. That is something that could happen, in which case I still want to give them a chance to role play. So I think probably the way I would handle that is that they get one fireball off and then they're dogpiled by the guards. Yeah. Who, who are restraining them because the vampire wants to gloat, you know, so we can still have some role play. It's well, just- I mean, and if the queen is in the room too, you know, and they throw that fireball, well, now you've endangered the life of the queen. Yeah, which is going to make their role play really difficult because even the nobles will not like that. So that's that's yeah. quite a fun one, actually. So there's there's a number of possibilities. I'm, mm. I I have met some players that even at level five, they can come up with some rather ingenious things. And I'm actually terrified of the possibility of them trying to bring down the castle. <laughs> okay. That's pretty amazing, yeah. <laughs> I can see them trying in some form or fashion. Like, oh, well, if they're in the ballroom, if we just collapse the whole damn castle, or if they're in the kill throne everyone. room, yeah. kill everyone, then it's no longer a problem. <laughs> well, the vampire problem solved because everyone's dead. <laughs> you know, it's like the nuclear fireball over the capital all, all over again. <laughs> but I mean, there's there's any number of possible surprises that can come along with that. I mean, including environmental and, and anything else. I mean, the bane of my existence for this would be the possibility of a rogue. For why? Because depending on how the rogue decides to play it, a sneak attack from a rogue yeah. is brutal. Yeah. Oh, agreed. Yeah. And so that's one thing that could, without a doubt, nearly one shot a vampire like that, depending on how they hit and what they're carrying. No, I don't. Because a vampire heals, doesn't it? Anytime they're not in direct sunlight or running water, they heal. Right. So... As long as it doesn't kill it outright, we can still... Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, assuming that you roll a critical hit, you know, sneak attack, you know, you get advantage, especially if you're still hidden, on top of all of the extra dice for the sneak attack, plus your weapon, mm-hmm. and everything else being doubled, like, you've got, you've got a good chunk of health that you can hit if you hit all of those at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's an outlier. Assuming worst case, yeah. But I've had it happen. <laughs> I think... With any boss fight, the thing to do is in the initial stages is to swarm the players and not let them get to the boss. So that's what we'll be doing with the guards until they figure out how to uncharm them. Right. I think the guard captain especially is going to be a difficult opponent that they're going to have to concentrate on first before they get... So as long as they get that bit of the combat, I think I don't mind if the vampire is cleaned up pretty sharpish after he loses his guards. Had a thought actually about that because we're talking about the MacGuffin, the 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 staff with the purp the the pink. Uh, it can be purple, stone but pink, it. yeah, yeah. Pink, purple, whatever. The players figure out that's what's controlling the guards, mm. and disarm the vampire and use it for themselves. Oh, I like that though. That's great. <laughs> I mean, in that case, I'd let that happen, and I would be like, "Your alignment has changed." <laughs> It's like, okay, cool. You're not more evil than the vampire is. <laughs> you just willingly, you know, enslave these guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I let that happen up, but I'd be like, you know, the queen is disgusted with you. <laughs> and, and I would remind them that this is mind control slavery that they're yeah. participating in. Yeah. If they're, um, we might get some PvP there. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, so like I, I could say for for instance, my character from our Starfinder universe would have no qualms about doing it and then destroying the staff after the fact and being like, no, no, I took the staff to save your people, kill the vampire. It's destroyed now. They can't be controlled anymore because he's a chaotic neutral mess. Yeah. But. <laughs> I, I still think it's verging towards the evil spectrum then because there is death. It's not like you're controlling them to get them to run away out of danger. And I know they are guards, so that's part of their job is to be endangered, but still forcing them with no will yeah. power to fight a vampire that could legit kill them. But um, I think that would be really fun. I like that idea. Yeah. But in, in terms of, I, I don't, again, I don't think when we're talking about preparation, I think it's good for us to kind of bash out some ideas mm. of what, what, could, what could happen. But especially with something like this, I think, you know, we've got our success state and failure state. Success is subduing the vampire and freeing the guards. Failure is vampire eats the queen and they are defeated by the guards. We could talk about things like, oh, what if they just ran away and decided not to deal with it? But I think those are the times, if a player did something like that, that's a time as a DM where I'd step in and go, the story needs you to be invested in this. You need to be yeah. able to do this. Otherwise, the, the story I've written doesn't happen. And that's absolutely fine. I've had that. I had that in my first ever time DMing. First time I ever DMed. I had a rogue in the party and oh, he had no. everything. He had min-maxed the hell out of his character to the point where he was ungodly good at climbing and escaping from stuff. Mm-hmm. So we started in a prison. He escaped and left everyone in the dust and just got out through the whole, dun- the whole dungeon. He just sneaked out on his own and left oh, everyone wow. to rot. And I was like, I... This is not a solo adventure, mate. You have to be you have to be invested in helping everyone else out of the prison. Because otherwise I just keep you I just kept him in a loop in the forest. He was like, no, I'm gonna go find a town or something. I was like, well, roll me a survival check to find yourself out, get yourself out of these woods. Um and obviously yeah. he had no points in anything like that. So just I was like, you're lost. You will be lost until you go back to the prison because I haven't built this yet. Yeah. You've wandered yeah. outside the bounds of my story. So I think, you know, with those kind of things, like where the party do something unexpected that isn't buying into the adventure, that's time for me to, you know, as a DM where I would say, no, you cannot do that. Or you can, and your character goes off and has wonderful adventures doing whatever they're doing, and you need to roll a character that is invested in this story. Yeah. That's always the the kind of the vein with a lot of those too is the, well, I'm not, I don't want to do this. I, I don't want to be a part of this story. Well, that's all fine and well and good. I need you to be invested in this. Otherwise, it's, it's not going to work for what we're doing. So either find a way for your character to be or another character or, you know, set this one out, you know, take, take your pick. But I, that's that's one of the things that always terrifies me about the whole I'm not invested in the story. It it it, it is the one thing that honestly God terrifies me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's such a simple solution though. Once you've figured it out, if that's what's happening for you, like 
when players do something unexpected, but it does serve the story, that can be quite difficult to understand how it impacts the world. But if someone's saying, I'm a lone wolf and I wouldn't, my character wouldn't be interested in any of this, then I, I think it is quite a simple solution. It's like, well, either play someone who is or leave, you know, yeah. not, not to put too fine a point on it, but the social contract here is that I build you a story and you bring a character who's going to play the story. Right. And I, I so I, I don't know, I find that one quite an easy one. And I, I've had that, I have that talk in any session zero. I, I let people know, you know, I've built this. I'm not, I'm not putting you on a railroad here, but if you decide that you're not interested in the story hooks that I'm giving you, then it's just not going to work. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's not going to be a good time that, exactly. that you're not going to enjoy it. And I think that kind of brings us to a point that we wanted to discuss, which was the improving stuff. Yes. And, but I think I don't agree that a, that a DM should always yes. And, and these are situations where I would change the yes. And to no, but so if I had yes. Anded the, the guy that snuck out of the prison, then I would have, written a whole separate adventure for him to do on his own and then try to play it concurrently with the rest of the group. That would be the yes and, because I'd be taking what he was giving and, and running with it. But I just think it's completely, it's it's not really reasonable and I didn't want to do it. <laughs> so right. I think it's fine as a DM to go, no, but, you know, so my no, but was no, you cannot go off on your own and have lone wolf adventures. But if you come back to the prison you can adventure with the party. And I think that's fine to do in cases where something really unexpected happens. I like to roll with it as much as I can without breaking my world entirely. But if it does get to a point where someone's done something completely mad, like say you're in a delicate political intrigue type thing and someone runs in to the ballroom and flips off to King, it is fine to take a moment and say, out of character, if you do this, the consequences will be dire. Yeah. Are you sure you want to do this? It's fine to do that and say to your players, you know, because sometimes they might be at odds slightly with the tone of the game, or they might think, oh, it'd be it'd be funny. They might have misread the situation. And if I really didn't want that to happen and the player was insisting on going in and flipping off the king, what I would do is I would do the no but by using a guard would be like, mm -hmm. right, the guard's all rolling insight on you. Looks like you're going to do something mental. They're going to escort you out and you cannot do this this action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's fine. Put put blocks in the way of your players who are doing things. I think it's, a, it, it's an excellent challenge added to it anyway as well because just because you have these characters who have some kind of renown, it's... It, <sighs> Okay, so I've been watching uh, Vox Machina animated. Mm. And one of the things that they brought up, and this is a perfect example of this, was Vox Machina saved the kingdom. They got their own keep, the, the whole nine. They were marked as the, the protectors of the city. Mm -hmm. Cool. You get invited to this fancy formal dinner and wind up fighting one of the guests who is, you know, one of the big bads of the campaign. Mm -hmm. Because it ties into the backstory of one of the other players. The king has been charmed and is outraged at what's going on and so has now locked them up and even then says just because you are the protectors of the city does not mean that you are above the law mm. you cannot take justice into your own hands yeah 
it doesn't matter how high a persuasion you roll at that point. You have made a public scene and have pissed off the ruling body of the of the city by attacking an honored guest, regardless of who that guest was. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I don't think that that outcome was unexpected for Matt Mercer, to be honest. I I haven't watched the live game, but I think he probably set it up that way. But if something like that had happened unexpectedly, then I think the way to react to it, to know how to react to it and to get something authentic on the table is to, when I say I don't do a lot of prep, I mean, I don't do a lot of fixed set stuff before sessions, but the prep I think you need to do to be able to roll with unexpected things from your players is to really know your world, to know that the king would be offended by this, that would would be unreasonable and not listen to explanations you would have to know the character of the king and it would have to be consistent throughout. So knowing your NPCs, knowing the laws of the kingdom that you're in, knowing how not just the people would react, but kind of the world itself. So well, the world and the people. So if the king, because I, I, I've watched those episodes as well and they get locked in their own keep and there are guards patrolling all around. Yep. And that's something, you know, it sounds obvious, but as a DM, you might not necessarily know straight away what the consequences of this could be. Why, you know, why are they locked in their own keep, not in the dungeons, that kind of stuff. And it's thinking of the mechanisms of the country you have made and its laws and its ruling class can give you an idea of how the consequences of any action that the players do will kind of ripple out right so you don't have to know every single thing about every single person but having a general idea of how a country works will go a long way to understanding how the actions that the players perform ripple out and that i think is what will help you to know the consequences the consequences of their actions so for an example of this in my game is my players did something a bit un- unexpected to themselves even is okay. there had been some kids going missing and they had made allies of this pack of werewolves. So they sent a messenger to the werewolves for them to go and solve this issue of children going missing by kidnapping children 
which I remember at the time I was saying, so you're saying the werewolves should take children away from their families. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause um, they didn't count it a family that were trying to sell their kids essentially. So it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's any unhappy kids, the werewolves should take them and, and look after them. And I was like, oh, okay, right. So you want werewolves to go stealing kids. I knew because I had written the werewolves. Firstly, I knew that they would definitely do this. The werewolves themselves couldn't have any more kids right? because of some horrible stuff that had happened to them. Uh, so they had been, in fact, kidnapping. They had been kidnapping some children, turning them to werewolves to kind of replenish their numbers. And the party had right. told them to stop doing that. But now because of the the, the mystery of the missing children, oh, no. they, they started again. But I, I knew that these werewolves weren't bad or anything, but I knew that they weren't, they were impulsive. They, they wanted to grow their numbers so they would be happy to do this. I also knew that their party's other ally, Esmeralda, was currently investigating the missing children also, would most likely, and would be quite fun, run into the werewolves, realize they were stealing kids and start tracking them. Uh, at which point the witches that were actually stealing children would come into the melee and there would be a big blowout fight. The consequences being that some of the kids have been rescued and are with, with the werewolves, but they've taken losses and Esmeralda is pissed off. <laughs> and all of that happened <laughs> off screen. And it was just because I, I knew the active elements of the world to do with the kids, with the werewolves, Esmeralda and the witches that I could sort of right. piece out what would happen there without having to roll the battle just sort of go oh that that would happen there the wolves would want to do this the witches would want to do that and then I can create a scene of the aftermath of carnage for the players to come along and realize the consequences of what they did especially since Esmeralda is quite scary <laughs> <laughs> so that was that's a fun one and i think if you know all the elements of your world then you can mix and match and find ways that they bump against each other from the ripple effect but that actually brings me to the the how much to improv mm -hmm. versus how much to prepare which i think we've kind of already sort of said yeah i mean your mileage will vary and i know ones that do a lot of prep work yeah a lot a lot a lot write loads and loads and loads of notes on every single person and if that's your bag absolutely go for it just make sure that you leave some room some wiggle room in there i mean knowing your characters and and the world as a whole is great but like when we're talking about like an encounter for instance like this with the the vampire and the queen that's that's more where i was i was coming into it from to to, to narrow it back into it but even that's still great too because you know you want to know the vampire in and out you want to know the queen in and out you want to know the nobles and their families and all of that but when when you're running this kind of uh an encounter how much of that do you want to try to prep for how much of it do you want to improv yeah i mean i i lean towards heavy improv just because i have i have previously written things like villain monologues gotten three words into it before the first fireball hits you know I don't want to do all that work if it's not going to happen. So I will stay yep. 
I will stay in the more improv side, but like I say, there are people that, that write down a lot. So say writing, you know, scripts for your NPCs and things like that. And I think if that's the way you prefer to do it, absolutely. But remember that some of this work won't be used and you, you will have to adapt it on the fly. And if you are finding that you're doing a lot of prep and then becoming frustrated that it's not playing out the way you wanted it to, it might be worth stepping back and taking some of that prep away and, and giving a bit more breathing room to the story, a bit more looseness. And that, that, that might help if you are running into problems there. Absolutely. On the opposite scale, if you find that you're, you don't do enough, you don't do enough prep, you just don't do prep and you find that you're kind of grasping at straws in session, you, you feel out of control, then that is the time to step up your prep. I think it's, it's, you've got to kind of find your comfort zone and it's different from for everyone, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act for how much to do. I know personally, I have full, like almost documents on my characters, my NPCs and, and their, their motivations, which I need to update. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to stuff like this, running the encounters, I've got bullet points, you know, of ideas and things that I'll run off of. So DCs for certain ability checks, environmental factors, how certain players are, or uh, characters are going to respond to situations, that kind of thing, mm. just so that I can quickly reference that and come back to it and try to keep it moving as best I can. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's finding that, that balance. Yeah. I mean, when I'm prep prepping a, a session, um, apart from the minis and the maps, I'll do bullet points on things I expect, like basically plot points, essentially. So uh, I'll be like, they're going to see Maisie the Dwarf, uh, red hair, Cockney accent. She wants them to find her missing husband. Mm -hmm. uh, he was last seen here. And then I'll kind of improv the conversation from those sort of memory points that I had there. And if anything comes up in from the improv that is nice to add to Maisie, then I'll pop it back into the notes there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, we've covered a lot. Mm -hmm. we, we've talked about a lot of encounters that we've run. We've talked about a bunch of different ways that we can deal with unexpected re uh, outcomes. Mm. So final thoughts that you would have on this and advice, thoughts, anything like that, that you would give to DMs or players alike. I think in terms of dealing with the unexpected things that you should prep are things that take a longer amount of time to look up so things like the spell list for your big bad evil guy you should prep that ahead of time you don't want to be googling spells in the middle of battle it's you know anything that's gonna slow you down in the running you should prep and i tend to leave mostly everything else improv Improv can be a bit scary, I think, and that might be why, you know, when I was a new DM, I would prep a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, mm -hmm. write everything down, write DCs on everything, just because I was worried. And I think once you've got a group that you're happy playing with and you'll trust each other and you've got that nice bond, you'll feel able to relax more. And I think that's when you can start easing up on the prep, or at least that's how it was for me. There's a lot of kind of performance anxiety that can come with um, with DMing. And I think prep can be a sort of crutch to kind of help you get over that anxiety. But if it's bogging you down, then it's time to step back on it, I think. 
don't be afraid to ask your players for more time as well. If you do need time to prep mid-session, something unexpected, absolutely. If your players won't let you do that, then it doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, and, and I agree, you know, especially being able to take that, you know, 5, 10, 15-minute break and be like, all right, you guys go get some water, use the bathroom, whatever. I'm going to work this out real quick, and we can come back to it after, you know, mm-hmm. and go from there. So that is definitely something that I'm a big fan of because I've had to use it a lot. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is regardless of what you're doing, and, and I think this is always going to be my, my number one go-to for anything DM, have fun. Mm. If you're not having fun, you need to kind of reevaluate what you're doing and why you're not enjoying it. And it goes the same thing with these encounters, you know, make sure that you're having fun with, them. let your players know, Hey, this is supposed to be fun. It's, it's not supposed to be stressful and, and, you know, inducing fights among players or anything like that because of what your characters are doing. And I think that's one of the things that I, I always worry about will happen in one of these is that you'll have two players who are, just completely opposite each other and what they think is the right thing to do and will cause a fight. And if that happens, you're no longer having fun and you need to figure out, is this something that's going on outside of the game? Is this something inside the game and how do we resolve it? But it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. And personally, as a final thought for me, when it comes to a lot of these things with the improv, I've always been a big fan of the rule of cool. Yeah, I do like the rule of cool. Can't do it too often, though. I mean, you don't want to do it at everything because then you may as well just be playing a different system altogether because, you know, now the player is in control, but which they should be for the most part. Neither here nor there. If you go too far with the rule of cool, it just becomes Calvin Ball, where anything goes. Exactly. Thank you. That's that's what I was trying to get at. <laughs> but yeah, have fun with it. Rule of cool it. And, and, you know, don't be afraid to improv. It's not as scary as you think it's going to be. It's really not. And most players are happy to go along with it. But that is going to mark our time, I do believe. Yep. Again, I, I am, I'm going to start sounding like a broken record, guys. I, I'm not going to even going to apologize for this. If you're not in our Discord server, join our Discord server, please. It, the link will be in the description of, of this episode. You want uh, information on episodes coming up? You want information on when we're going to be doing things like this ahead of time? Join that Discord server. You'll also be able to catch up with me on Monday nights, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, doing Creative Spotlights. I also stream on Twitch on Tuesday nights for Wolf Plays Tuesdays, and I'm doing Community Game Nights. You want information on all of that? It's going to be in that Discord server. So please, 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 please. And I have some big announcements that are going to be coming up very soon. You're going to hear about first there. Thank you guys for joining us. Join our Discord server if you like what you're, what you're hearing. And we will see you guys next time. And remember, may all of your adventures be excellent. And all your crits be natural. And stay safe, guys. Bye-bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.